Hey, thank you so much for being here uh, in worship today, and I know that we have a number of people that are um, in our overflow room, so I want to welcome you as well as those of you who are worshiping with us online. Uh, thank you for worshiping with us today as well. So as you can see, uh, we are starting a new series today called A Very COVID Christmas. Uh, in no way do we mean to make light of this very serious pandemic, however, there are a number of parallels between the Christmas story and what we've experienced um, with this pandemic. Uh, one of those parallels is just how much COVID interrupted our lives. Um, I remember well about this time last year that we started to hear these reports about this strange virus overseas and the effects that it was having, but it was it was way over there. It was not really affecting our lives, so we didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. And then in January and February, we started hearing these reports about it coming to the United States, but it was out west, you know, on the west coast. We thought, well, they're dealing with it. It's not really here. It's not really affecting us. We don't have to really think about it. And then March 9th, that particular week, we just became flooded with reports about this virus spreading throughout our country and specifically in our state. And, and the governor that week finally had to issue a state of emergency and everything shut down. I remember that Sunday we canceled church. We had church online only. We did not meet here. And that next week schools closed and restaurants closed and businesses closed. And most people began to, to work online from home and I think all of us at that point wished we had bought stock in Zoom. I mean, everything at that point changed. Let me ask you this. How many of you, because of the interruption of COVID, had in late March, April, or May a vacation planned, and you had to change your vacation plans because of COVID? Yeah, it interrupted your vacation. Um, how many of you, either it was you or you had a family member or you had a friend who had a wedding planned, and that wedding had to be postponed due to COVID. Anyone? Yeah, I had one that I was to officiate the first week in April, and we had to move it to the summer and move it to an outdoor venue. Um, how many of you, either yourself or you had a family member or a friend, had a graduation that was planned, and that graduation had to be changed or postponed because of, of COVID? Yeah, I mean, our plans were majorly, majorly changed and interrupted due to COVID, and we're still dealing with all of that today. When you read Luke's version of the Christmas story, you find that there is a young girl who has her life interrupted in a major way. Uh, the story that we're going to read today is likely familiar to most of you if you've been in church for a while, uh, but hopefully today you can see it in a new light. Uh, this is Luke chapter 1. If you've got a Bible with you, either paper or digital, uh, you can turn there. Luke is the third book in the New Testament, so there's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, we will start reading in verse 1 and see the story of a young girl uh, whose life was interrupted. So Luke 1, and we'll start with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. To a virgin pledged pledge to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So when Luke opens the Christmas story, he 
introduces to us three different individuals. The first one we read about here is Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth was a relative of Mary. Elizabeth was the mother of John, who we call John the Baptist, uh, because of his ministry and his calling people to repentance and the number of people who were baptized. Uh, Elizabeth was older. We're not sure exactly how old, but she was old enough to be well beyond childbearing years. And that's part of the story here, how God shows Mary that he's really involved in this interruption in our life. Uh, the second character is Joseph. Uh, Joseph was a poor carpenter from the town of Nazareth. Uh, we translate that word carpenter. More, more likely, it was craftsman or tradesman. Uh, in that day, having someone highly specialized and only doing woodwork was, uh, was unlikely, especially in a small town like Nazareth. So he probably worked with anything and took any job that would come. Uh, if you've ever been to Israel, you know that in the nation of Israel, there are far more rocks than there are trees. And so he likely did stonework, uh, but we know that he was poor. And so here was this poor craftsman, and he was engaged to a young girl named Mary. Likely just a teenager, maybe 15 years old, give or take a year or two. And while engagement worked differently in that day uh, than it does in our day, my guess is the feelings of a young girl getting ready to marry this man weren't a whole lot different. Uh, Mary was engaged and exciting, excited about the day that was coming, and that was what dominated her thoughts. That was... Those were her plans. Meaning this, there are people in Luke's story that we see who were anticipating the coming Messiah. They were getting ready for, they were waiting for, they were excited about God sending the promised Messiah into the world. Mary was not among that group. Mary was excited about her wedding day. Mary was anticipating becoming Mrs. Joseph the carpenter, not Mary the mother of Jesus. You know, Mary's plans were all about this coming day, and then suddenly her life was interrupted in one conversation, in one moment, in this meeting with an angel. Her life was dramatically interrupted. Verse 29 tells us this, The angel came and greeted her, and Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Why do you think Mary was greatly troubled? Now, granted, an angel comes to you, you know, that's going to trouble you, right? Now, you see an angel, you think, this is not normal, this is not what I planned to do today, you know, it's not on my calendar, I have a meeting with an angel. So, sure, maybe that is part of it. However, Luke says that Mary was greatly troubled, not because she was meeting with an angel, but she was greatly troubled at his words. Why was she greatly troubled at his words? All the angel had said was, hello, had not mentioned anything about her being pregnant, about Jesus. All the angel said was, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. What made her greatly troubled? Let's look back at verse 28. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Why do you think that line would bother her so much? 
We read that line and we just think it was some sort of ancient greeting. The Lord is with you and with you. It was just a nice way of saying hello. It was kind of a religious way of saying hi to someone that you knew who was also a follower of God. Maybe, you know, that was it and we just breeze on past that. However, Mary understood that that phrase carried with it a lot of significance. When the angel said, the Lord is with you, she understood that against this Old Testament backdrop where when that phrase was uttered, God was doing something big in the life of someone he had called. God was interrupting someone's life in a major way. Whenever you see that phrase, God is typically calling someone out of their comfort zone and will stretch them to do something that is well beyond themselves. few examples. There's a character named Moses. Moses was a guy called by God to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to tell Pharaoh that he needed to let the Israelite people go. This free slave labor, he was just to release them all and let them go. It was a calling that God had placed on Moses that if it really wasn't from God, and if God did not protect Moses, he would die. Pharaoh would just have him killed. And so what did God say when he called Moses to do this? Exodus chapter 3, and God said... I will be with you. This major calling, and I will be with you. The successor to Moses was a guy named Joshua. God called Joshua to lead the Israelite people into the promised land, a land that was flooded with other people groups who did not want to give up this land, and they were willing to fight for their, their land, and there were a lot more of them than there were of the Israelites. So God said to Joshua, I want you to take this land. Joshua understandably was scared. So Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Gideon and another soldier, a follower of Joshua, God told Gideon, I want you to attack the Midianites, this far greater force of people. I want you to go into battle against this huge army. And guess what, Gideon? I will be with you, mighty warrior. And then Joseph, not Joseph the... Hello? Not Tell them to come to church. They should be here. It's probably a political robocall. I need to give a little grace on that. Not Joseph the the fiancé of Mary, but the Joseph from Genesis, the Old Testament Joseph, who God called to ultimately save the Israelite people by becoming the number two guy in Egypt, God led him through this path where he was sold into slavery. He was accused of a crime he didn't commit, and ultimately he was in prison. And all throughout his life, we read that in every episode, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Whenever you see that short little phrase in the Old Testament, the Lord was with him, the Lord is with you. Whenever you see that phrase, it carries a lot of weight, a lot of significance, and it means that God is going to use that individual in a huge way. I don't know if you've, if you've ever had this experience, but you're in a small group of people, maybe your home team or some other group, and you share some struggle that's going on in your life, your surgery's coming up, or there's some kind of financial issue, or you know, you're facing some trial, and you say, hey, I just need you guys to pray for me. Would you pray for me? 
And then everyone bows their heads, and some individual, some well-meaning individual in the group prays for you, and they say, Lord, we, we pray that you will just be with him. What? Don't pray that. Just be with me? What does that mean? What's God going to do? What's he going to call me to do? I just need help with this surgery, this final that I'm facing. I just want God to protect us as we go on vacation. Now you're praying the Lord be with me? What are you doing to me? I thought we were friends. Why are you saying these words? Don't pray the Lord be with me. When you pray that, it means that God's going to interrupt your life in a major, major way. Which is why Mary, understandably, was greatly troubled at the words of the angel. Okay, let's continue. Verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. In verse 34, how how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. So here we see that the angel pulls back the curtain on why exactly the Lord was with her. God was calling her to this huge deal that was far beyond her. And Mary, understandably, had a couple of concerns. One was biology. She had not been with her fiancé. And yet the angel says that you will give birth to a son. She understood enough to know that this was beyond the scope of what is normal and natural. Then the angel laid this on her. This will be no ordinary child. This will be the Savior of the world. Mary, you, this teenage girl from Nazareth, you will carry the long-anticipated Messiah, the Savior of the world. Of Israel. This was great, and this meant that Mary would get to play a part in the great story of God, but it also meant that her life would be interrupted in a major way. Her plans, her wedding plans, the parties, the family and friends getting together, beginning this simple, quiet life with her new husband, Joseph, all of those plans were put on hold because God was interrupting her life. And so Mary did what any of us would do. Yeah, she raised her hand. Excuse me, Mr. Angel. Um, you know, I'm I'm a virgin. Can you can you tell me like how is this going to happen? Verse 35. The angel answered, "The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will fail. Here the, the angel essentially says, look, I know that this is hard to grasp. This is beyond the scope of what is normal. So, so I'm going to give you a sign. God has generously given you this assurance that what I have said is from Him. And here it is, Elizabeth, who is well beyond childbearing years, is already in her sixth month of pregnancy. All you need to do is go and ask her, and she will confirm this. And if God can do that in her, who was said to be beyond being able to conceive, then God can surely do what He has promised in your life as well. And then verse 38 concludes, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, 
May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Ultimately, Mary accepted this major God interruption in her life. And now, 2,000 years later, we are here today talking about this teenage girl from this tiny little nothing town in this backwoods part of the Roman Empire from 2,000 years ago. God used Mary to ultimately change the course of history, to ultimately change our world. I'm convinced that there's some of you right now, and God has interrupted your life. You have heard, you have sensed this this message from God. You are struggling right now with God's interruption in your life, and it's scaring you to death. There is this risk that you're not sure if you're willing to take, and, and you're wondering what to do. You're wondering if this is really from God. You're wondering if it is from God. Do you say yes? And if you say yes, what it will mean in your life. God has interrupted your life, and right now you're wondering what to do. God wants you to make a change. God wants you to to start to serve Him in some different way. God wants you to to go and do this thing that you've never done before. There is this thing that's going on in your heart and your mind. And even now, me talking about it, your heart's starting to race. Because you know God over the past several weeks, over the past several months, has spoken to you and you are struggling with whether or not to follow God in this thing. What do you do? What do you do when God interrupts your life? Let me give you four things that we find in this passage. The first is this. When God interrupts your life, give yourself permission to, forgive me, I could not come up with anything better here. You ready? Give yourself permission to flip out. It's the best I could do. Look at verse 29 we talked about earlier. The angel came and interrupted Mary's life, and Mary was greatly troubled at his words. The message translation of the Bible here says that she was thoroughly shaken at his words. I did a deep dive study on that phrase, greatly troubled, to see what the original Greek means. And and here's what it means. Flip out. That's the best I can come up with. When God interrupts your life, it is okay for you to have a moment where you're not sure what to do where you are greatly troubled, where you are thoroughly shaken, you need a minute to flip out, then you've got permission to flip out. It does not mean you're less than spiritual if you are shaken at God's interruption. If you've been around Northway for a while, uh, you know that for a number of years, Katie and I served as foster parents. Uh, We began that process about six or seven years ago, And it actually began one day when I came home from work and we were on our back patio and we were sitting there talking and Katie said to me, I think that God is calling us to serve as foster parents. She said those words and I literally blacked out for the next 30 minutes. When I came to, she said the phrase again, just a little softer this time because she wanted me to be awake for the rest of the the conversation. And so we talked for about 30 minutes, and the summary of the conversation was this. She would say, I think God is calling us to be foster parents. And I would say, I think that God is absolutely not calling us to be foster parents. And we went back and forth for a while. And finally, when she saw that she was getting nowhere, she, she just said, hey, just do this. Would you at least just pray about it? 
I said, no. <laughs> you, you won't even pray about it? I said, no. She said, why won't you pray about it? I said, because if I pray about it, God may tell me that he wants to serve as foster parents, and I, I do not want to serve as a foster parent. I am overwhelmed enough as it is with our biological kids, and I, I don't want to step into this. She said, you're not even going to pray about it? Nope, I'm not going to pray about it. Now, ultimately, I did. And, and ultimately, we became foster parents. However, in that moment, I needed a little bit of time to be greatly troubled and thoroughly shaken and to flip out and to say, I'm not even praying about this thing. When God interrupts your life, it's okay. It's not less than spiritual to say, I'm not sure if I can accept this. Here's the second thing. Express your doubts. It is perfectly acceptable to express your doubts and to question God. We serve a big God who can handle even our hardest questions. That's exactly what Mary did. Verse 34, she says, hey, wait a second. You're telling me that I'm, I'm going to give birth? How will this be? I'm still a virgin. In other words, hey, angel, I went to Nazareth High School. I took Biology 101. I understand how this whole deal works, and this isn't it. It, it was fine for her to express her doubts. It's fine for us to question God. Ultimately, following Christ is a step of faith, but it's not a blind faith. Our faith is not an irrational faith. It is one that is based upon a very real historical event, meaning this Jesus whose birth we celebrate this month that Jesus eventually grew up and became a man and went to a Roman cross and died on that cross. And then three days later, God raised him from the dead. And not only did he do that, he predicted that he would die and would come back from the dead. And if somebody says, hey, I'm going to die, and then three days later, you will see me alive again, and they accomplish that, they get a whole lot of credibility in my book. In other words, everything else they said, I'm going to take as truth if they were able to predict their own death and then being raised from the dead. What you and I believe, the God that we follow, that is based on this historical event that not only do we read about in Scripture, but we know that there were hundreds of individuals who saw this Jesus who had died later raised from the dead, and those individuals were willing to die for that truth. Meaning that if, if I told you I believed something, but in the back of my mind I knew it was all a hoax, you take a sword and you put it to my neck, and you say, deny Jesus, we're going to kill you. If it's all a hoax, I'm going to give it up. Oh, you're right. We made the whole thing up. Yet they were willing to die for this truth that he had been raised from the dead. Our faith is not based upon a self-proclaimed prophet saying that he went up to a mountaintop and heard from God and wrote down what he heard and then began a religion and said, hey, come follow me. You just need to believe. You just need to have faith. Our faith is based upon this historical evidence. And so it is faith, but it is not a completely irrational faith. It is not a blind faith. When we have doubts, it is okay to express those doubts to God and to say, I need you, God, to help me make sense of this in some way in my mind. Here's one of the ways you do this. When God interrupts your life, 
ask for a sign. Say, God, if this is really from you, if you want me to take this step, then God, I need you in some way to show me that this is really from you. That's exactly what the angel did for Mary. When Mary doubted, uh, the angel said, Hey, look, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And if she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. In other words, if God has done that in her, and you can clearly see it, then you can know that what I am saying to you is true as well. Back in 2005, uh, Katie and I were living in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, we both had jobs, uh, very good, secure jobs. Our friends were in Charlotte. Uh, Katie's family was in Charlotte. It was a place where we were very comfortable, very secure. Um, it, it, was, it was easy in so many ways. Um, that year, we began to sense that God was calling us to do something different, and specifically that God was calling us to, uh, to move overseas and to serve with an organization called the International Mission Board. It's a large missionary organization. It's one that we support um, as a church. And so we began the process uh, with the International Mission Board of applying and going through all the um, the questions that they would ask and all the online stuff that we would have to fill out. And eventually they sent us an email that said something like this, hey, uh, we've accepted your application and we're inviting you to come for a weekend of interviews. And in that interview, we will determine whether or not you can serve for the International Mission Board. And as well, if you're accepted, then we will pair you with a job somewhere overseas. And so they sent us a, a link to the job postings they had available. Well, we had been talking about all of this, and we had really sensed that God wanted us to serve in college ministry in some kind of university setting. And so we went through the long list they had of all the jobs they had available. And out of all those jobs, there were only four that were working with college students in a university somewhere overseas. One of those was in Poland, and three of those were in Spain. And so we looked at all the jobs, and I said, hey, here are the four that you know, have to do with college ministry. What do you think? And she looked at the one in Poland, and then she looked up the average daily temperature in Poland and said, no way, it's way too cold. There is no way that we can go to Poland. I said, okay, well, it looks like it's Spain. You know, I, I guess we're going to go there. We need to brush up on our Spanish. And she said, hey, I need to tell you something. I, I, don't, I don't think Spain is it. I said, really? Are we going to go back to the Poland thing? You really kind of freaked out over Poland. She's like, no, 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 Poland's not it. She said, I've been praying about this a lot, and I really think that God is calling us to Rome, Italy. I said, really? She said, yeah, I'm just convinced that that's where God wants us to go. And I said, well, God has not told the International Mission Board that because here's the list that they sent, and we've got this one in Poland, these three in Spain. She goes, I know, but I just think that God's calling us to go to Rome. I said, okay, well, we'll see. So six weeks go by, we have that conversation numerous times. And I kept checking the website over and over. No, it's one in Poland, three in Spain. One in Poland, three in Spain. The weekend came, we go to Richmond, Virginia, where we were to interview, and we check in, and they give us this big notebook that gives us a schedule for the weekend and all the things that we would be doing. And in the notebook is an up-to-date listing of all the job openings that were available. So we quickly turn to the ones in Western Europe and Eastern Europe to see and and we look, and one in Poland, three in Spain. The most updated list, still the same jobs. Part of the process during the weekend was to, to go to these presentations 
where individuals from the various regions around the world would come and they would talk about what they did in their region and, and all the things that you would expect if you served in their region and who was on their team and then the job openings they had available in their particular region. And so we sat through you know, Africa representative and the Asia representative and the Pacific Rim and South America and Eastern Europe, and then Western Europe was the last one that we sat through. And it was a girl who served on that team who, who came and she did the presentation, went through the same spiel everyone else had gone through. She said, yeah, this is what we do, and here are some of our team members, and here's the kind of ministry that's taking place. And, and by the way, you received a notebook, and if you look in our section of the notebook, you'll see the jobs that we have available. If you're interested in any of these jobs, please come talk to me. And by the way, we have one that's not in your notebook that just became available working with college students in Rome, Italy. My jaw just dropped. I looked over at Katie to say something, but she had already hopped out of her chair, jumped over three rows, knocked down five people to get to that girl and to say, that, that's us. You know, I've been praying about this. That's the job that God has for us, which is ultimately where we landed. Now, it gave my wife this wonderful, I told you so, that she can go back to every now and then. She loves that story. Uh, for me, it gave me the assurance that I needed. I was so scared. I was so nervous about resigning from a well-paying job, a secure position, to take this step of faith. And I just needed to know that it was from God. And when that happened, I was able to look back on that moment during the hard days, during the scary days, and say, God... I know this is from you, and right now things seem scary, and right now things are hard, and right now I'm not sure what we're doing, but God, I know this was from you, and I can trust you. Finally, the last thing is this. When God interrupts your life, take a step of faith. There has to come this moment that you say, okay, God, I'm going to take the step of faith. That's what we see happening in Mary's life when the angel came to Mary and told her about everything that would happen. Ultimately, Mary said, okay, fine. I am the Lord's servant. What you say, may your word be fulfilled in me. When God interrupts, here's the question that you need to ask. When God says, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to step out of your comfort zone. I want you to take this chance. I want you to do something that's going to stretch you beyond what you're normally accustomed to. And when God asks you to do that, Here's the question you need to ask. If you say no to God, what will you miss? What will you miss if you refuse to follow God's calling? Think about Mary. She missed her wedding plans. She missed some parties. She missed the life that she had anticipated. And yet, she got to be a part of God's big plan, and the mother of the Savior of the world. Had she said no to God, think about all that she would have missed. Again, right now, God is knocking on the door of your heart. God is calling you to do something that is different, to step out, to serve Him in some way. Maybe Maybe you're a student and it's at your school and you know that God is calling you to start this Bible study, but you're scared. You don't know how. You don't know what that means. You don't know what it is 
that your friends will say. You don't know what it's going to look like. You don't even know how the teachers would respond. You're not sure. You just know that God is calling you to do this. And ultimately, you need to take this step of faith. Maybe it's in your job, and it's very secure, and it's very comfortable. But God is calling you to make a change, to make some big change. It might mean a loss of income. It might mean a loss of security. But God is calling you because he's opening this door for you to have an impact in a much bigger way. Maybe it's a conversation that you need to have. And God is calling you to talk to this friend. And you're scared that if you talk to this friend about your relationship with Christ, it's going to mean the end of the friendship. Maybe you're on a sports team. And God is calling you to do more than just be a great athlete on your team. God is calling you to be a light to your team members. And you're scared to death about what the guys will say or what the other girls on the team will say if you begin to speak out. Maybe God is calling you to step into some area, some ministry in the church and serve in a way that you've never served before. Maybe God is calling some of you to take that first step of faith in following Him. You're not even a follower of Christ. And you're too scared. You've got plans. You've got things you want to do. And you know that if you follow Christ, that means that your plans go on the back burner and God comes first. And you don't know what that looks like. And you're scared to death. Here's the question you need to ask. What will you miss out on if you say no to God? Saying yes to God's interruption in your life today may just be the greatest yes you ever say.